Chapter Forty of the Vicar of Bullhampton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Vicar of Bullhampton, by Anthony Trollope, Chapter Forty, Trotter's Buildings. In the back room upstairs of Mister Stiggs's house in Trotter's Buildings, the vicar did find Carrie Brattle and he found also that since her coming thither on the preceding evening for only on the preceding evening had she been turned away from the three honest men one of mrs stiggs's children had been on the lookout in the lane i thought that you would come to me sir said carrie brattle of course i should come did i not promise that i would come and where's your brother but sam had left her as soon as he had placed her in mrs stiggs's house and carrie could not say whither he had gone he had brought her to Salisbury, and had remained with her two days at the Three Honest Men, during which time the remainder of their four pounds had been spent, and then there had been a row. Some visitors to the house recognized poor Carrie, or knew something of her tale, and evil words were spoken. There had been a fight, and Sam had thrashed some man, or some half-dozen men, if all that Carrie said was true. She had fled from the house in sad tears, and after a while her brother had joined her, bloody, with his lip cut and a black eye. It seemed that he had had some previous knowledge of this woman who lived in Trotter's buildings, had known her or her husband, and there he had found shelter for his sister, having explained that a clergyman would call for her and pay for her modest wants, and then take her away. She supposed that Sam had gone back to London, but he had been so bruised and mauled in the fight that he had determined that Mr. Fenwick should not see him. This was the story as Carrie told it, and Mr. Fenwick did not for a moment doubt its truth. "'And now, Carrie,' said he, what is it that you would do? She looked up into his face, and yet not wholly into his face, as though she were afraid to raise her eyes so high, and was silent. His were intently fixed upon her as he stood over her, and he thought that he had never seen a sight more sad to look at. And yet she was very pretty, prettier perhaps than she had been in the days when she would come up the aisle of his church to take her place among the singers, with red cheeks and bright flowing clusters of hair. She was pale now, and he could see that her cheeks were rough, from paint, perhaps, and late hours, and an ill life. But the girl had become a woman, and the lines of her countenance were fixed, and were very lovely, and there was a pleading eloquence about her mouth, for which there had been no need in her happy days at Bullhampton. He had asked her what she would do. But had she not come there, at her brother's instigation, that he might tell her what she should do? Had he not promised that he would find her a home, if she would leave her evil ways? How was it possible that she should have a plan for her future life? She answered him not a word, but tried to look into his face, and failed. Nor had he any formed plan. That idea, indeed, of going to start up had come across his brain, of going to start up and of asking assistance from the prosperous elder brother. But so diffident was he of success, that he hardly dared to mention it to the poor girl. "'It is hard to say what you should do,' he said. "'Very hard, sir.' His heart was so tender towards her, that he could not bring himself to propose to her the cold and unpleasant safety of a reformatory. He knew, as a clergyman, and as a man of common sense, that to place her in such an establishment would, in truth, be the greatest kindness that he could do her. But he could not do it. He satisfied his own conscience by telling himself that he knew that she would accept no such refuge. He thought that he had half promised not to ask her to go to any such place. At any rate, at any rate, he had not meant that when he had made his rash promise to her brother, and though that promise was rash, he was not the less bound to keep it. She was very pretty and still soft, and he had loved her well. Was it a fault in him that he was tender to her because of her prettiness and because he had loved her as a child? 
we must own that it was a fault the crooked places of the world if they are to be made straight at all must be made straight after a sterner and a juster fashion perhaps you could stay here for a day or two he said only that i've got no money i will see to that for a few days you know and i was thinking that i would go to your brother george my brother george yes why not was he not always good to you he was never bad sir only only what i've been so bad sir that i don't think he'd speak to me or notice me or do anything for me and he has got a wife too but a woman doesn't always become hard-hearted as soon as she is married there must be some of them that will take pity on you carrie she only shook her head i shall tell him that it is his duty and if he be an honest god-fearing man he will do it and i should have to go there if he will take you certainly what better could you wish your father is hard and though he loves you still he cannot bring himself to forget how can any of them forget mr fenwick i will go out at once to start up and as i return through salisbury i will let you know what your brother says she again shook her head at any rate we must try carrie when things are difficult they cannot be mended by people sitting down and crying i will ask your brother and if he refuses i will endeavour to think of something else next to your father and mother he is certainly the first that should be asked to look to you then he said much to her as to her condition preached to her the little sermon with which he had come prepared was as stern to her as his nature and love would allow though indeed his words were tender enough he strove to make her understand that she could have no escape from the dirt and vileness and depth of misery into which she had fallen without the penalty of a hard laborious life in which she must submit to be regarded as one whose place in the world was very low he asked her whether she did not hate the disgrace and the ignominy and the vile wickedness of her late condition yes indeed sir she answered with her eyes still only half raised towards him what other answer could she make he would fain have drawn from her some deep and passionate expression of repentance some fervid promise of future rectitude some eager offer to bear all other hardships so that she might be saved from a renewal of the past misery but he knew that no such eloquence no such energy no such ecstasy would be forthcoming and he knew also that humble contrite and wretched as was the girl now the nature within her bosom was not changed were he to place her in a reformatory she would not stay there were he to make arrangements with mrs stiggs who in her way seemed to be a decent hard-working woman to make arrangements for her board and lodging with some collateral regulations as to occupation needlework and the like she would not adhere to them the change from a life of fevered though most miserable excitement to one of dull pleasureless and utterly uninteresting propriety is one that can hardly be made without the assistance of binding control could she have been sent to the mill and made subject to her mother's softness as well as to her mother's care there might have been room for confident hope and then too but let not the reader read this amiss because she was pretty and might be made bright again and because he was young and because he loved her he longed were it possible to make her paths pleasant for her her fall her first fall had been piteous to him rather than odious he too would have liked to get hold of the man and to have left him without a sound limb within his skin to have left him pretty nearly without a skin at all but that work had fallen into the miller's hand who had done it fairly well and moreover it would hardly have fitted the vicar but as regarded carrie herself when he thought of her in his solitary rambles he would build little castles in the air on her behalf in which her life should be anything but one of sackcloth and ashes he would find for her some loving husband who should know and should have forgiven the sin which had hardly been a sin and she should be a loving wife with loving children 
perhaps too he would add to this as he built his castles the sweet smiles of affectionate gratitude with which he himself would be received when he visited her happy hearth but he knew that these were castles in the air and he endeavoured to throw them all behind him as he preached his sermon nevertheless he was very tender with her and treated her not at all as he would have done an ugly young parishioner who had turned thief upon his hands and now carrie he said as he left her i will get a gig in the town and will drive over to your brother we can but try it i am clear as to this that the best thing for you will be to be among your own people i suppose it would sir but i don't think she'll ever be brought to have me we will try at any rate and if she will have you you must remember that you must not eat the bread of idleness you must be prepared to work for your living i don't want to be idle sir then he took her by the hand and pressed it and bade god bless her and gave her a little money in order that she might make some first payment to mrs stiggs i'm sure i don't know why you should do all this for the likes of me sir said the girl bursting into tears the vicar did not tell her that he did it because she was gracious in his eyes and perhaps was not aware of the fact himself he went to the dragon of wantley and there procured a gig he had a contest in the inn-yard before they would let him have the gig without a man to drive him but he managed it at last fearing that the driver might learn something of his errand he had never been at startup farm before and knew very little of the man he was going to see on so very delicate a mission but he did know that george brattle was prosperous and that in early life he had been a good son his last interview with the farmer had had reference to the matter of bail required for sam and on that occasion the brother had with some persuasion done as he was asked george brattle had contrived to win for himself a wife from the fordingbridge side of the country who had a little money and as he too had carried away from the mill a little money in his father's prosperous days he had done very well he paid his rent to the day owed no man anything and went to church every other sunday eschewing the bad example set to him by his father in matters of religion he was hard-fisted ignorant and self-confident knowing much about corn and the grinding of it knowing something of sheep and the shearing of them knowing also how to get the worth of his ten or eleven shillings a week out of the bones of the rural labourers but knowing very little else of all this fenwick was aware and in spite of that church-going twice a month rated the son as inferior to the father for about the old miller there was a stubborn constancy which almost amounted to heroism with such a man as was this george brattle how was he to preach a doctrine of true human charity with any chance of success but the man was one who was pervious to ideas of duty and might be probably pervious to feelings of family respect and he had been good to his father and mother regarding with something of true veneration the nest from which he had sprung the vicar did not like the task before him dreading the disappointment which failure would produce but he was not the man to shrink from any work which he had resolved to undertake and drove gallantly into the farmyard though he saw both the farmer and his wife standing at the back door of the house End of chapter 40